Hi there, I'm Rory O'Connor, Professor of Health Psychology and a Mental Health Researcher at the University of Glasgow. And I'm Craig, a filmmaker and content creator at MQ Mental Health Research. And welcome to MQ Open Mind, a podcast that brings together lived experience with scientific research to help us to better understand mental health problems. And we hope to do so in a way that is accessible to all. In this episode, we spoke to endurance athlete and motivational speaker, James Gwinnett. After a bad neck injury playing rugby, James developed depression due to his inactivity, which eventually included alcoholism. Four years later, he found redemption in the form of fitness challenges, starting from running the London Marathon to taking part in Channel 4's Special Forces training show, SAS Who Dares Wins. In this conversation, we discuss recovering from addiction, using sport to improve your mental health, and building mental resilience. So welcome to the latest episode of MQ's Open Mind podcast. And Craig and I today are really delighted to welcome our latest guest, James Gwinnett. And James is an endurance athlete with his own experience of mental health. And so welcome to the podcast, James. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome in. So obviously what Craig and I tend to do in these podcasts is take people through a journey. They're, we all have our own mental health journeys. And really what I'm keen to, obviously I know a bit of your story, uh, but maybe if you want to start at the beginning, really what stimulated your interest in, in mental health. So tell us a bit about, about your journey, please. Sure. Yeah. I mean, journey is the interesting word, isn't it? And and I think we'll come on later to how we've we've all, we are all and we have all been on, we are all going on. Uh, a continual mental health journey. Mine, my, my first awareness of being on that journey um, is probably the best way of describing it. Um, came through experiencing the ups and downs of, of, of life, really. And I, a lot of this for me relates to identity. If you'd asked me ten years ago, who are you? I'd have probably said I'm a rugby player. Um, my late twenties, I was playing a reasonably serious level, serious enough to get a bit, bit of bit of pocket money. For my my bumps and bruises, my troubles, uh, I took it incredibly seriously. I had a dedicated routine that revolved around matches on a Saturday afternoon, which gave me discipline. It meant that I trained hard, I ate the right things, I was fit, I was healthy. And here's where the identity comes in. I was, I'm six and a half foot, foot tall. I was about 17 stone at the time. And that gave me this rugby player identity of, of, of in, invincibility, if, if, if you like. Uh, that gave me that gave me purpose. It, it mm-hmm. felt like I, I I knew who I was. So I was a rugby player. I was out to prove that I was bigger, better, stronger, more macho than 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 everyone else. Possibly not the the healthiest of identities in in hindsight, yeah. but an identity nonetheless. And that all changed on the afternoon of. Saturday, the 9th of February, not 2013. I remember it, the, the day and the date vividly. I'd been throwing myself into fairly reckless tackles for 20 years or so without too many uh, niggles, uh, a few bumps and bruises along the way, but but nothing too serious. But on this particular uh, occasion, um, long story short, my opponent changed direction at the last minute. I got my head in the wrong place and the impact of, of flying into him headfirst at full pelt was so severe that I, I broke a, um, a bone in my neck, uh, fractured one of my, uh, one of my, um, my C6 vertebra. And 
coming back to identity, the one day I was a on the 9th of February, 2013, I mentioned the date, I was a rugby player, but the next I wasn't because that injury stripped me of that identity in a you know click as fast as you can yeah. fingers. I was no longer able to play rugby. So in terms of the, the damage, what, what, so what was the, in terms, could you, there was any temporary paralysis or anything or? Well, I had what's called a stinger at the time. I don't know if you know the, the, no. the phrase on the rugby, you get, a, I got a sort of shooting pain down my arm. Uh, it was a trapped nerve and I've actually, I've actually got a slightly, still got a slightly numb sensation in my, mm. in my thumb. Um, well, full, you know, full motion of everything, but just have this bizarre tingly sensation in my, in my, in my thumb. So something, something got trapped. And, and I can remember at the time I, I sat up from the floor. Uh, I mean, I wasn't knocked unconscious or anything like that. I do remember, I remember sitting up and thinking, ow, that hurt. But I was then able to walk off the field and the physio had a, like, sort of wiggled me in various different directions and stuck a thumb here and put some ice on it. And I'll come on later to sort of how the, the human body fascinates me because 15 minutes later, I wanted to come back on the pitch. I had a broken neck. Right. Uh, and I'm there. Like, right. Come on. Bring me back on. Bring me back on. And fortunately, the physio had the sense of mind to say, yeah, look, come on, we'll maybe sit the rest of this. That's one. not a wise decision. I mean, we didn't know that it. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd injured myself quite as badly as I had. But the decision was, let's just let's just take this one easy. And then for 48 hours, I just went about my life. Um, I had friends over on the, this was a Saturday afternoon, mm -hmm. had a few beers that, that evening, Saturday afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoon, friends came and visit, Monday, again, sort of standard day, and then it was, so we're talking 48 hours plus later, Monday night, in fact, it was the Tuesday morning, about two o'clock in the morning, I was lying in bed, and I'd had, I mentioned a couple of sort of niggles over the, over the years, I'd broken a, a collarbone and another. So I had, I knew what the sensation of having broken something felt like. I knew that there was something seriously wrong because I was lying in bed from head to toe, just my entire body in absolute agony. And I said to my girlfriend at the time, Look, I, this is ridiculous, I, I need to take myself to hospital. And she sort of gave it that, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Come on, stop being stupid. It's two o'clock in the morning, roll over and go to sleep kind mm. of thing. And I said, no, I'm going, I'm taking myself. So anyway, we, we packed up and off, off we went. I, I wandered in, wandered into a, in the local A&E down in Kent and, and said, I'm, I think there's something seriously wrong with me. I've hurt my shoulder and my neck and I can't move and this, that and the other. And they sat me, they gave me, gave me a couple of paracetamol and said, you know, sit in the corner. And four hours later, I had a series of x-rays, which didn't actually show anything. But then I had what's called a CT scan, which is, I don't know if you're aware of it, it's like a more in-depth x-ray and bearing in mind this is now like five six o'clock in the morning on a tuesday i was the only person in a and e the, the this fracture showed up on the uh, on on the ct um, image uh, i don't know what you call it image and they realized oh my god this this guy's been wandering around a hospital for the last four hours with a broken neck and the whole a and e department just went into meltdown i was i say six 17 stone at the time i was being carried around on a stretcher by six of the staff <laughs> from one room to the other room I was sellotaped to the uh, head my forehead yeah. sellotaped to the stretcher so that I couldn't move my head left. are you still on agony at this stage I'm still in absolute absolutely excruciating agony yeah and I was saying a couple of paracetamol will, will, will do you for now and uh, and I was then sellotaped to a, I eventually transferred from a stretcher to a bed and I was then sellotaped to this bed for for, for a week Five days, actually, it was, while they sent my scan off to a hospital in London to have it analysed as to whether it was, whether I basically I needed an operation. Fortunately, it came there, like, oh, we can go in through your throat and we can, oh, right, okay, fine. Um, fortunately, that, that 
didn't happen but it took them five days of, and I just I didn't know what was happening for five days I was being being dosed up on morphine and and as high as a kite for, for, for five days I'm surprised I didn't end up addicted to morphine actually it was there was drink rather than drugs but anyway we'll come on to that and just yeah all through that all through that uh, that experience um the, the the outcome of that was I, I had was made to wear a neck brace for three months um, I had to take three months off work. So they had the sort of the down, that low period of feeling worthless uh, and that, that identity, that big, fit, healthy, yeah. masculine, macho identity being stripped away from me and turning into weakness, frailty, unable to exercise, unable to stick to that routine that I'd had whilst, whilst playing rugby. I lost the discipline and all of that loss, that, that void, for want of a better word, needed to be replaced with something and mm. and it was drink for me I took to drinking I'd always been a big drinker as sort of part of the rugby culture there's the mm. post-match beer you know um mentality whether that's healthy or not is a is a, a different conversation across the the rugby community it's certainly not as not as bad as it as it as it was mm -hmm. but I took to drinking on my own I took to drinking in secret hiding it from my my friends, my family, my, my, my girlfriend at the time. And that what, what followed really was a, a spiral, three-year spiral into depression, alcoholism, or alcoholism and depression. I'm not sure which yeah. sparked the other. Maybe as a psychologist, you, you can tell me. But it was a, a very lonely time. My actions resulted in the breakup of that relationship. Mm -hmm. I mentioned the girlfriend at the time. My, I mean, my parents were you know beside themselves I have a very strange relationship with with friends who who are I'm now incredibly close with but at the time it was very difficult for them yeah, yeah. I work suffered uh, etc so yeah so, so how did you then I mean that sounds awful obviously and, um so how did you realize that that you had a problem with alcohol then or because if you're saying you had a, the sort of drinking culture I know you're saying you're, you're drinking on your own hiding it and so on but that did you seek help for that or? I did, yes. And I, I mean, I, I hit rock bottom is yeah. the long and the short of it. And my, everyone's is, is everyone who has been through an experience of uh, alcoholism or dependency. Um, I wouldn't obviously wish it on anyone, but mm -hmm. for me, it was the, the probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it was that spark of, 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 of realization. And for me, it was uh, uh, an argument with a, with another girlfriend which is again a strange relationship because I was because I was drinking I stormed out took a bottle of Jack Daniels with me and checked myself into a into a dingy hotel room and and, and drank the thing and the next morning I was sat at this breakfast table in this you know hungover haze and I'm not a particularly spiritual person but have had what I can only describe as an out-of-body experience of sort of floating out of myself and looking down on just this, you know, pathetic, uh, hungover, frail, sort of shred of a man that I'd become, and look and thinking, I, I just can't do this anymore. And that that realization that I was, I was basically, I realized that I was ashamed of myself. Yeah. That threw me into recovery, and for want of a better phrase, I became addicted to being sober and threw myself into AA meetings, counselling, seminars, 
hypnotherapy, read books, you know, listen to podcasts. I think I might even be before podcasts. I don't know how long, <laughs> but I every single resource that I could get my hands on, you name it. And I I don't actually attend meetings anymore, but I did for for a, a good sort of couple of years. The AA was very mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason for that uh, in particular was the first, I, I mean, again, I, you know, this isn't a, uh, an advert for the AA. I wouldn't say, right, everyone who has a drink go, needs to go off and, and go to a meeting. But there were the, couple of, the first couple of steps of the program were very uh, important for me. The, the first one being that you have to admit that you are powerless. They use the word powerless. Mm. And so for me, that was admitting defeat. And it, again, it was coming back to that identity of that admitting to myself that I wasn't the invincible macho rugby player that I thought I was that actually I was frail and weak and needed help but that was okay so it allowed me to accept that I didn't have to be the biggest the best the best the strongest person in the room or on the rugby field it was stripping that back and, and and saying look it's okay to to ask for help to to need help to want support to lean on the people around you if there are other people that are stronger than you that's okay well, i mean that must be quite liberating in, its, in itself independently of the alcohol issues certainly yes yeah, certainly yeah. And, and that is liberating is the word that you use revelation you know if if that was a, a liberation the second step was even more so um, because the, the program gets you to talk about what they call your higher power. Now, for some people, that's God and religion. Like I say, I'm not particularly spiritual. Um, I, you know, I believe that there is something that keeps life ticking along. I just I, you know, haven't quite quite placed it necessarily. But in simple terms, the, the meaning of the, the step in the, in the AA program is, is finding something that essentially gives you focus, something of meaning in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it could be God. But for me, the routine that I had when I was playing rugby had given me discipline to be incredibly fit. And I realized that that just simply that discipline, that routine had been what was missing. And my higher power became my my health and my fitness. Yeah. So and my, is, that then, is that what then brought you into the endurance sport or? In, indeed yeah. it was, yeah. yes. My trouble, I suppose, was that whether it was training to play rugby or drinking whiskey I didn't do anything by halves so I quickly came to realize that I needed something tangible a a very real challenge that would give me that that routine and that discipline back so I I found myself a couple of weeks later after attending my my first AA meeting you call it fate if you like but a couple of weeks later I've sat down on a Sunday morning and flicked the TV on and the London Marathon was on the TV and I, I remember sitting there with my dad and I was just sobbing because I was so over, overwhelmed by the emotion of the physical lengths that people were going to, to, to raise money, to push themselves, mm. fancy dresses. It's such a, an incredible event in terms of there's no discrimination, there's no hate, there's no bias, there's, it's, anyone can do it. And the fact that these people were putting them through, putting themselves through two, three, four, five, six hours worth of essentially suffering for better causes and to improve themselves gave me that spark. And I I signed up for the the next, the year, the next year's marathon, the following. Weren't that many doing doing the marathon in two hours? (laughs) One or two, one or two, but um, again. Yeah, get the principle, yeah. They're they're suffering whether or not they're doing it in two or or they're just not (laughs) suffering for quite as long. But yeah, that gave me the, the... the spark, uh, as it were, that that I needed, 
it gave me the routine it allowed me to um i'm very much uh of the the sort of mantra that if you have a goal you can break it down into into smaller steps so the 26 miles became having been fit from playing rugby and being all being all about strength and power that then that then became more about longevity and endurance and so i, I ran yeah, yeah. it started off with walking then it was running then it, it was 5k and then it was 6k and then it was 8 10 you, you you get the idea over the over the subsequent months and and that year-long goal and i can remember vividly remember this incredible feeling of of satisfaction on crossing the finish line having put my body through what i had put it through for three years boozing to then come full circle for want of a better phrase to running 26 miles in under four hours the satisfaction of having gone set myself that challenge and mapped that out in terms of i'm going to run this far this week and this far the next week yeah. and got to mid-april and 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 done the the, the 26 miles really, really impressive well, thanks very much <laughs> that then fuel well you, you say it's impressive we'll come on to why anyone can do it and it's all up here that's a separate point that then fueled this just this this passion, desire in me to do it again and get yeah. that thing again. But I wanted more. And 26 miles wasn't enough. I knew there was, I knew I had more in That's me. the ultra. That's the ultra. Exactly. So. Well, then just before you get on to that, that James, go back, just go back. Just, so did you seek any form of help for the depression or did it's just the AA stuff manage the depression or, or the depressive symptoms? The, the AA stuff did. I did do some counselling and mm. that, that very much helped. But the main source of recovery for me was just purely fitness. I had a, 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 a sort of realization in a in an hour long AA meeting one day that I could be spending this hour doing on a training run, and the fitness became my recovery. The sort of counselling side was 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 important to to an extent, but I again come back to that phrase, higher power. I found my my higher power, which gave me the routine and the discipline that I had been lacking over that three-year period where I was at the bottom. So and after that first marathon then, didn't leave it just there. And you were about to tell us that you've moved on in, ter in, ter in terms of trying to get whatever the motivation to do more or do different or do better. Yes. And we touched on on SAS, who dares wins. That that came as part of the process as well. Yeah. So how did that come about? How did that come about then? Yes. So, I mean, again, you used the word journey earlier, didn't we? It was all this, all of this is, is is part of part of the journey having done the the marathon i then started looking for other endurance related challenges and opportunities and again maybe it's fate i don't know but shortly after running my first marathon i was watching sas who does wins on on tv and at the end it said if you're interested in taking part send an email to i don't know it was probably apply at channel4.com something like that <laughs> And, and I just thought, well, why the hell not? I'll stick my hat in the ring. I mean, how amazing would that be? And fitness test and um, psychological test and various interviews to camera and various other stages later, I was receiving an email saying, right, meet us at Heathrow in two weeks' time. Turned up at Heathrow. They said, right, we're off to, we're off to Chile. And I spent two weeks in the Andes being beasted up and down mountains by Middleton and co. And I, obviously phenomenal i say obviously a phenomenal experience it depends how you look at these things <laughs> and a, a lot of people say well, god was it not the most awful thing that you've ever done in your life and well, no it wasn't it was the best thing i've ever done in my life but only because i think to myself that was the best thing i've ever done in my life if you go into something thinking it's going to be awful 
guess what? It's going to be awful. Um, yeah. If you think, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to meet some incredible people. I'm going to fly around the Andes in a helicopter. That kind of experience, yes, it was brutal. Physically, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Mentally, actually, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But I only look back on it with fond memories. Do you feel changed after doing it? Yes and no. I mean, a lot of my fellow recruits, you know, this, the, the, the phrase life changing gets bandied about too easily, I, I think. But it definitely taught me something about myself. And that was that the directing staff, so Middleton, Foxy, Ollie, Billy, they they whittled, they, if you know the format of the show, they whittled 25 or so civilians down to about eight over the course of two weeks through a simulated special forces training. And the interesting thing is that they're not looking for, again, coming back to the rugby analogy, they're not looking for the biggest best strongest fittest person not even the most charismatic leader or the i don't know the best looking they're just looking for the person who will keep going they threw they throw all of these horrible challenges at us i mean some of them i found quite incredible you know abseiling off bridges and swimming in glacial lakes or you know some some phenomenal stuff but all designed to push you to your absolute limit and if you're able to just put one foot in front of the other if you're able to just keep your head down and keep going you you will do well on that show and that taught me that i had more in myself coming back to the the running that i could then look at the subsequent challenges that i could look at i could look at double marathons i could look at 100 kilometers I had this idea in my head that one day I would run 100 miles in one go. And at the time, five years ago, that seemed insurmountable. I've now done that three times. And most recently, I've run 150 miles in one go last summer. And the, the, the point, I suppose, being coming in, coming on to how this relates to mental health is that yeah. that is how I define, that's what I define as mental fitness. It's being able to just put one foot in front of the other when life is going to absolute pot because if you can do that you can then have you when when the good stuff comes in life it's better than anything you've ever experienced so it's that those highs and those lows balancing those two and navigating the, the, the two of them if you can cope with the bad stuff the good stuff will be even better and if you are mentally fit you can start recognizing the thought process that go into that but i suppose it's trying to work out what mental fitness is or how you what you've been through in it and these obviously incredible experiences not just with SAS who dares wins but the other sort of extreme sports or endurance sports so so I assume you've you can see your mental fitness getting stronger and stronger can you yeah absolutely and from what you've just said I 100% believe that you like physical fitness train your mental fitness your brain is think of it as a muscle you can practice it you can hone it you can improve it I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and run an ultra marathon but I do believe that we need to, as individuals, put ourselves through some extent, some hardship to some extent, challenges, difficulties, and endure them, get through them, work out problems, how to solve them, come out better on the other side in order to then enjoy the the, the, the great thing. And, and control is very important as well. Stress and discomfort often come through a loss of control. So whether it's a an ultramarathon but i basically use the the idea of an ultramarathon as a, a metaphor for life it might be an ultramarathon or it might just be a tough day at work the emotions are the same you go through uh, ultramarathon i call it life in a day because you go through some just utterly dreadful lows i can remember 
last summer running through a thunderstorm at three o'clock in the morning, soaking from head to toe, miserable thinking, why the hell am I doing this? But if you can come through that, you also experience some incredible highs, like life in a day. And we, we all have it. Unfortunately, it's just the nature of just the nature of life. You know, COVID, God, you know, we've all we've all we've all gone gone through the ringer with 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 that. And that's the ramifications of that. We're, we're seeing that at the moment with struggling and, and redundancies. And um, my business does quite a lot of work in the tech center, tech sector and lots of layoffs being being announced and, and, and businesses are, are, are struggling. But certainly from the last seven years of, of sobriety, it's been been now and that process of, of pushing myself through through challenges. I've learned that we, we go through these ups and downs, but where I'd where I previously had just had a drink at the end of a difficult day, probably, there are better ways of dealing with these these things. And certainly from a mental health perspective, taking the time to consider why you are, if you're having a, a bad time of it and you're feeling low, actually looking at why you're feeling low, analyzing that. You know, maybe you wake up in the morning and you think, oh God, I just feel crap. Just take a couple of minutes to just assess why. Because other, you know, if you if you don't you, you can either spend the rest of the, the rest of the day feeling crap or you can have a think about it and, and work out what you're going to do about it. Maybe you need a maybe you need a coffee to perk yourself up. Maybe you need to go on a uh, go on a do a bit of exercise punch, uh, punch bag let, let off some steam it, you know it doesn't matter what your mechanism is in order to overcome that that feeling of that that low feeling you do need to however be able to recognize why you have that that low feeling oh, absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more with that we go back a couple of things that struck me when you're speaking there james one is i could absolutely true that there's central importance of control i mean mm. in psychological terms in all aspects of our life most is or so much discomfort gives as emerges from people feeling out of control absolutely and it doesn't matter if it's your physical environment your mental environment anything which basically um, we we're not very good at tolerating uncertainties and the things are outside our control it's it's even even worse. But one thing for maybe Charlie's going back to when the rugby obviously accident happened and then that identity had to be replaced by the endurance athlete identity. And you so the question I suppose flipping it back to you is so are all your eggs in one basket in that what happens, God forbid, when maybe you're not able, or what happens you get injured and you can't do ultra marathons or you can't do the endurance? What's what's the plan for for you then? So this yeah, this leads me on to the again back to the the, the idea of, of of identity and the fact that I now don't have an identity is the long and the short of it, or I don't I don't assign myself a single identity. So I am not I don't call myself I, I I do I call myself an endurance athlete, but only when I'm undertaking endurance events, if that makes sense. Okay, so I'll just stop you there for once. Let me stop you there for one second. In psychology, there's a thing called the twenty statements test, right? The 20 statements test says, I am dot, 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 right? I, I was coming on to I am. Yeah, yeah, go so, on. So basically, I'm now going to challenge you to say, and it's meant to be spontaneous. So I'll give you, you can do three, right? I am, and it's whatever. And so I am. I am a husband. Right. I am a PR consultant. I am a dog owner. I could go on. You, oh, you wait, hold on. Where does endurance so endurance athlete doesn't even appear in the top three? Not at the moment. I'm I'm sat in an office. Yeah. My wife's at home. My dog with my dog. I haven't got that at the top of my list at the moment. Yeah. Serious bit of this is, is um, that we know that and that twenty statements test has been used in psychology for years and years and years, 
And obviously, it's to give you some indication of the hierarchy of your identities. Mm. And what you quite nicely illustrated, those you've got those first three you come up with. Because some people struggle and you go, oh, I've got a first one, maybe. I'm, and then, so what it's, it's important to have multiple identities so that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. So, so, that's, so that's interesting. So endurance is context specific then, is what you're saying. Very much so. And and yeah, I, mean, I love the fact that you've pinpointed the I am ideal. I've heard it slightly differently in that we, we basically we, sh- we need to be adaptable. We need to yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to position ourselves according to the situation that, 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 that we're in. If I'm running out running, I'm a runner. Uh, if I'm I've just taken up um, it's a new challenge for me. I've just taken up Brazilian jiu jitsu. It's slightly different to anything that I've I've done uh, slightly different discipline. That's something new that I'm doing. But on a day to day minute to minute basis the most important thing in my life is is my wife mm-hmm. she, i am a husband the second most important thing is possibly my job the, the third most important thing is i don't know maybe it's the home the i have a, a, a year old labrador we've got a nice you know country cottage so it, again it's that I, I like the fact you talk about that sort of hierarchy of of identity because it allows it doesn't it doesn't mean that we have to necessarily pinpoint ourselves and it, from, from a personal perspective looking back to when i did identify myself as a rugby player and that was then stripped from me it, did, it didn't leave me with with the void I could fall back onto something, and and you know, again, that, that element of control is 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 very important. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. On that, it's it's controlling what is learning to control, basically learning to control the controllables. Yeah, yeah. Controlling or what, accepting what's not controllable. Or accepting those. Yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. So, so, those things. Yeah. If you, if I'm in the middle of, I take it back to the, the the running analogy. If I'm in the middle of an ultra marathon and I and it starts raining, there's nothing I can do about that. But I can put on a waterproof. If I'm running and I get a blister, there's not much I can do about that. I can put a, I can put a plaster on it. But you 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 know from a running perspective, you've if if you know so you're tracking your your training, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, you know how far you can run, you know what calories you can take in, you know how fast you should be running, you know your pacing. So there's various different elements of it that you you can control, mm-hmm. but there's absolutely nothing that you can do about the weather or uh, you know other 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 scenarios like that so that very much comes back into the 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 mental the mental health side of things and it might involve adapting Mm -hmm. it might involve taking a new direction reframing things but having that self-awareness in terms of how you perceive yourself that recognition of what and i come back to that recognition of what your mind is going through that and understanding that and being able to take back control that's crucial in everyday life just as it you know just as it is in an ultra marathon as i say the, yeah. the ups and the downs and if you're getting through the getting through the tough bits that's that requires mental fitness but it also allows you to in, to enjoy those um those, those highs yeah no i agree so bringing it back then james just, um a couple of main questions just so just in terms of your obvious as you said we're all on this journey in mental health journey whatever journey in life whatever we want to describe it as is there one thing somebody said to you well what's the one key message about mental health you think we should be trying to get out there to the wider public well, have you any idea what, what comes to mind the main message that i would convey is that we all have mental health and it sounds very simple to say that but people don't assign as much importance to it as they should there's a lot of focus on physical fitness you know, gym memberships and diets and all this and, and all this stuff and everyone sort of piles into sick getting you know six packs and, and and looking good and working out and and, and getting and getting fit but as I, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago i 
fully believe that just like we can improve our mental, uh, sorry, just like we can improve our physical health, mm. can improve our mental health. And that comes from experiences. It, it comes from learning how we react to certain situations, analyzing that, looking at understanding ourselves better and the, the, the outcomes that come from, from, from feeling bad and, and how, we, how we address that apply that the next time the next time it comes so it's something that can be trained it's something that i believe everyone should be spending more time with i don't necessarily meditate in the sense of you know fingers together you know cross-legged but i find my when i'm out on a run that is my time where i can just sort of switch off from world's issues or i can i I find i have a, a rule that if i have a problem that can't be solved on an hour long run, then it can't be solved and I should forget about it. I use that. I time think up. about that. <laughs> that's, that's... I use no, that. Like, I like, that's, a good, that's a good principle, actually. Yeah. If, if you, I use that time, the running time to, to problem solve, to, to I let my mind go. And that is effectively my meditation. It is a bit of a woo woo, fluffy phrase, but I don't, I don't run for my physical fitness. I run for my mental fitness. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it improves my, you know, cardiovascular, you know, breathing and all the rest of it. But more importantly to me is where it allows my mind to go and how it allows me to well, almost literally sweat out any any yeah. any problems and and come up with solutions and put things to one side and address how I might have done something differently and maybe I've had a bad day at work and I can sort of think oh maybe I've handled that slightly differently or. So again, from, from a sort of advice perspective, the one thing that we should all be doing is paying more attention to our mental health, whether it's three minutes while the kettle boils, just assessing how you think you feel and doing so in little increments has been scientifically proven to improve your, your mood, mm-hmm. even if it's three minutes a day, to a full-blown meditation, which for some people works wonders and other people think is you know, a, a waste of time there's a there's there's you know there's a nice happy medium for um a lot of people as well whether it's a a workout or a, a walk i walk the dog every morning seven o'clock every morning is my favorite time of day i'm out with the dog rain snow bright sunshine doesn't matter i'm out with the dog and i'm i, I feel incredible fresh air yeah. in the morning mental health med effectively again effectively a meditation but yeah, I, I just find what works for you and, and obviously yeah. Ideally, if it's an evidence-based intervention of some description exercises, obviously really strongly associated with mental health. Yeah, no, a great one. So, okay, last question. Then we have two, or last substantive question, then we have two quickies and they finish, James, if, that, if that's okay. If you had all the money in the world, or somebody said, here's a big a problem to fix, and we'll give you whatever money is required, what would you what would, would you think is number one, or what would you like us to address as, me- as a mental health research community? I would like to know why the mind is so negative and i say that from the point of view of doing endurance challenges but it could be it could be anything from meeting a deadline to learning to drive your car it could be anything for some reason there is there is something in our brains that tells us ah, no you can't do that don't bother go and you know sack it off go and have a drink ah, don't worry about that one come back to it tomorrow i need to think about that that's a that's a good interesting question i'm trying to think is the brain by default negative because i would argue that it's well it's, there's huge individual individual differences and if you think about negative affect versus positive affect so some of us are more more habitually 
more likely to respond if something if a neutral event happens us some of us are more likely to interpret it as negative versus positive and then mm. you can get into this vicious cycle so i'll have to think about whether on balance the evidence is that the brain is negative but that's that's, that's a really interesting question actually so whether it is or not is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it happens every time I go for a run without fail. And, and that is not an exaggeration. Yeah, every yeah, time yeah. I go for a run, I'll get two kilometers in and my brain will go, oh, why don't you just, why don't you just Yeah, no, we've all had that. Pull it a day and head home. Yeah, the, the sofa's really comfy and there's a bottle of water in the fridge. You just go and rehydrate, go and feel better, go and have a, go and have a slice of cake. And then I think, well, it's ridiculous. I'm only two kilometers in and yeah. I, have, I have to override that in order to keep pushing through. And then that, I mean, that will happen a hundred times on an ultra marathon. What's this going to say? Why does my brain do it? And yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the question. Why? And every time I have to override it. And I think, no, no, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, the next <laughs> I'm going to make the next kilometer. I'm going to get to the next checkpoint. I'm going to have a energy gel, whatever it is. That negativity is, I just, I don't know where it comes from. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, well, that, when I'm out on, I just focus on the next lamppost. Exactly. Yeah, it's the, lamppost. the next milestone. Ultra running is, uh, as is life is all about mental fitness. It's all about putting one foot in front of the other, whether it's literal or metaphorical. Yep. Come through a difficult period in your life. If you can put, just keep going, just keep going, it yep. will come to an end. Same with you know, the, the literal running thing. I think it was Winston Churchill that said, if you're going through hell, just keep going. That, you know, it's that kind of mentality. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. That, yeah, that we that we all need, and and quite why the brain tries to convince us otherwise is there. You go. There's your there's your research. There's your yeah, name. that's a good question. That's a good good question indeed. Okay, James, thanks a million for that. We just two quickies to go. Reflecting on what you've learned now, really, over the last whatever that your life, what advice would you give your 16 year old self? Just be happy in who you are, and I say that because as a macho masculine big rugby player for some reason i wasn't happy because i i had it in my mind that i had to convince everyone else that i was macho and masculine whereas no one really cares do they it's it wasn't about everyone else it was about it was about me and the the identity that i wanted to portray whereas as i've as i've mentioned uh the the learning the journey over the last few years has been actually it's it's okay to be frail and we can ask for help and talk about issues you don't have to be the big macho guy just be happy in you yeah no absolutely that's uh, sound advice and well, i suppose the other bit that just on you saying about weak it's not a weakness i suppose is that point isn't it it's not about weakness it's just about being an individual um believing in yourself and and, and actually as we know it's a huge strength to ask for help yeah exactly exactly to identify need help and ask for it is, is is far more a strength than it is a weakness last one then is if you had a sort of um, magic wand so to speak and you could have a coffee or a dinner with anybody living or dead you can do up to two people who's your top two people you'd love to just ask have a chat with so from the the ultra running and the the the, the ideal that we can we have more in us and that we can we can push ourselves further and the the concept that the human body is a a two and a half million year finely tuned incredibly evolved machine there are a couple of athletic feats that absolutely fascinate me and one was roger bannister 
running the, the mm. four minute mile because people had been trying to do it for so long that people had started believing that it was impossible. That people had started believing that it was physically impossible to run a mile in four minutes. And Roger Bannister was a student. He wasn't a professional athlete. He ran it in like old, heavy leather trainers. And he was, he obviously, you know, people know the story at, at, at Ifley Road. And obviously there was a sort of science behind it in terms of him being paced by other team members. But as soon as that mental barrier was broken people just started knocking it off afterwards uh, the, I mean it is incredible that, that the whatever. time yeah. just dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped afterwards and, and someone else broke it a week later I think it was as soon as yeah. people realised oh hang on a minute it's not impossible yeah. so Roger Bannister would be one in terms of believing yeah, that we are capable of more and in a similar vein I, I'm going to sort of tie him with another um, Elliot Kipchoge is the, the guy we talked about two hour marathons a moment ago. He was the first guy to break the two hour marathon mark. So similar athletic feet. Either one of them. You can have both. You can have both. Oh, oh okay. You're you're going for one or other of those. You could one, one or other of those guys. Ah, okay. Then, as a teenager, I was just I idolized Michael Jordan because of just how he just transcended a sport. The, and having, I don't know if people have, will have seen the, the Last Dance on, on, on Netflix yeah, brilliant. documentary. I was just enraptured by it, fascinated by that. Just seeing that the, the, how he put, you know, the professionalism with which he, he um, approached the game, talking to him would be, would be, would be fascinating. I and mean, a lot of, a lot of what he did was probably, probably selfish for, you could, you know, argue that a lot of it was selfish, but I think he just believed that he was put on this planet to, to, to play basketball and nothing else mattered. And if you look at the, the documentary, some of his behaviour was arguably questionable. But yeah. he was without doubt the greatest. Or uh, LeBron's just just broken the um, the all time scoring record. But um, Jordan was was unquestionably one of the one of the best players of the game of all time. And, and talking to him about his mindset and how he motivated himself and how he got himself to to to, to that level would would be would be fascinating. There'd be a long. You need a long conversation for that because we can share one of the cigars that he will not share we can each have one of the cigars that he famously smokes and although he could have his whiskey and i'd, I'd just uh, i'd have a, a glass of water on the, on the side so but not on hail obviously no <laughs> james thanks a million on behalf of craig and i and mq thanks a million for joining us and um we look forward to seeing what you do next in terms of your endurance activities all the very best thank you thank you very much for having me on been a pleasure talking thanks MQ Open Mind is presented by MQ Mental Health Research, the only organisation that exclusively invests into scientific research around mental health. Our vision is to create a world where mental illnesses are understood, effectively treated and one day prevented. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. Each review helps us reach a wider audience. Visit mqmentalhealth.org to learn more about MQ and mental health research.